begin our series, Plan Out Your Faith, talking about the 13 articles of faith that are the foundation of our family. That is what we are. We are a family of faith. We are a church. And as a church, we have a covenant. And we have articles of faith. When was the last time you read, members of Living Hope, when was the last time you read our articles of faith? Have you ever read them? They are on the church app. You can open the church app, and under our vision and beliefs, you will find them there. Uh, You can find them on the church website. I want to encourage you to go there today and to begin to study those. Over the next several weeks, we're going to begin to look at these. And, And I know there are some that are thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot believe we came on a doctrinal study. Doesn't he know we have practical things in our lives? Can I tell you, there's nothing more practical you can do than understand sound doctrine. Because see, what what we believe, what we know, impacts what we feel. And what we feel will drive what we do. There's nothing more practical than understanding what you know so that what you know can drive what you feel. Because what you feel and what you know will drive what it is you do. Let me, let me show it to you like this. God has given us a head, a head, a heart, and hands. What we know in our head will drive what we feel in our hearts, which will drive what we do with our hands. And what we do with our hands will determine what we know with our head. So if you're spending all your time in secular media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on in, uh, you know TV, movie, all that stuff, if that's what you're doing with your hands, well, what's going to be in your head? But when we know sound doctrine, when we know what is true about God and ourselves and our world, it drives what we feel. It drives our heart. And our heart and our head work together to, term, to determine what we do with our hands. It is crucial that we know what we believe because what we believe will determine what we feel. And what we believe and what we feel will ultimately determine what we do. And those things that we do will determine what we think. And you see how the process goes on and on. It is crucial that we know what we believe and why. It's crucial that you and I, especially those of you who are members of Living Hope, we need to know what our articles of faith are. We need to be able to explain them and hear me, we need to be able to defend them. We need to be able to say why we believe them. And I hope to give you some help in that today. Today we're going to deal with the fundamental issue of the faith and that is what we know. What do we know is true? Whatever you define as truth will define everything else. What you define as true will define everything else. It will define how you feel. It will define what you do. It will define how you see everything else. We are going to look at what we believe about the Bible because we believe the Bible is the true Word of God. And we need to understand what that means. We also need to understand there's a cultural challenge to that reality. The cultural challenge is tempting us not to look at the Bible as our basis for truth. There are at least three other things that are competing with the Bible for for not just believers, for all people uh, to, to find what is true. One is emotion. We are being told not to think but to feel. How many times do we hear people today when talking about something of significance, they want to tell us how they feel about it? Feelings are dangerous. Feelings fade. Feelings change. Truth does not. And so what you're watching on movies, what you're listening to music, and let me even let me be critical of the Christian marketplace. Be careful what they're selling. Because they will often sell what sells, not what is true. 
And so we've got to be careful because they're using all of them, commercials, uh, movies, TV, even the, the, the Christian bookstores, the, the Christian distributors. They're using emotion. But remember, emotions fade, but truth stands. Not only do we have this emotional appeal to temptation to rely upon, we also have secular authorities. Government, public opinion polls, and educational institutions are all about influencing what we see as true. The problem with that is this. Human legislation, data, and information will always be tainted, but truth is pure and holy. Listen, just because an American poll, because Fox News did a poll, that doesn't mean it's true or it's right. Just because of a majority of people believe it. Just because a Supreme Court judge says it's true doesn't mean it's true. Just because a government pushes it as a law doesn't mean it's true. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You can change the hands on a clock. It doesn't change the time. The time stands. It is an absolute. And there are those who are tinkering in our culture, in our society, with the hands on the clock trying to tell us what time it is. They can't change time, only our perception of it. And we need to understand what is the time. What is actually true? We've got to be weary of the emotions. We've got to be weary of secular authorities. And we've got to be mindful that there are half-truths. Half-truths, things we find in religion and philosophy that are all about giving just enough information that it appears true and then takes the true words and empties those words of meaning. The problem with half-truths is that they never provide what is needed for a whole person and human reality, but truth speaks to the whole person. It is important that we understand and remember what Jesus said about the Word, what Jesus said about truth. When Jesus was praying for us, in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying for us. He was praying not just for the disciples that, that were there hearing this prayer, He was praying for us. And look what He said in John 17, 17 in His prayer, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is the truth, and it is the truth because the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And that's how we know it is true because God is holy and he is truth. And there are no, I know there are some, and there may be some of you here now, some who will listen to this later, who, who may raise the question, how do we know the Bible is the Word of God? I would love to stand here all day and could, all month maybe, and tell you how we know the Word is truth. But I'm going to limit myself because you guys want to go eat lunch later for some reason. And so I'm going to limit myself before we even get into today's text to give you three ways we know it, all right? How do we know the Bible is the Word of God? First, because the Bible says it's the Word of God. It says it over and over that this is the Word of God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. And then the other books of the Bible treat the other books of the Bible as the Word of God. The, the Bible does not need a higher authority. It is the ultimate authority. It is self-authenticating. Therefore, it defines what is true. It says that it is the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. Because it says it's the Word of God, and it is the ultimate authority. But, but another way, secondly, is because the Bible reveals it is the Word of God according to its content. We read the Bible. I appreciate the Westminster Confession of Faith. Look what it says. 
the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is, is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. The Word of God reveals itself as the Word of God in its style. It is simple and yet profound. It is, it is laid out in, in an Old Testament and a New Testament in specific style of, of written and that's profound. The message, we will never comprehend the full message. We can apprehend it. And even that, we won't comprehend it, but we can apprehend it. But even apprehending only happens by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Without the Spirit of God, there would be no understanding, as we will see in just a moment. It gives all glory to God. It explains the way of life and salvation. It reveals itself true and without error as it explains God and, and the spiritual realities of the world. The, the Bible reveals it is the Word of God according to its content. But third, Third, it, it, it's the Word of God because the Bible does what it says it will do as the Word of God. This is significant. The Bible says that it will, it will be revealed to those who believe, and to those who do not believe, it will confound them. And that's exactly what the Bible does. It reveals that it is supernatural and requires the power of the Holy Spirit to be understood. And those without the Holy Spirit, without the work of the supernatural God in their hearts and minds, they cannot understand it. Uh, you know this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but... We have the mind of Christ. How is it that we can understand the Word of God? Only by the Spirit of God. We understand the Word of God because we have the Spirit of God in us. Those who do not have the Spirit of God do not understand the Word of God, and it's confusing to them. They think it's wrong. They think it's ridiculous that we would dare say there's such a thing as an absolute, absolute truth, and they challenge it. They look at it as technical information, but they can't, they can't understand it. They can't, they can't live it. For instance, everybody knows I can't sing, Right? If you don't know that, come sit on this side of the room one Sunday and you will, you will quickly discover I can't sing. But you know what I can do? I haven't done it. not going to do it. I could go and study music. I could study all the notes. I could study all the instruments. I may be able to dink out chopsticks or something else, you know, after years of practice, right? But you know what? No matter how much information I may know about music, I will never be musical. I just don't have it in me. I can throw something at you and hit you from about 20 yards. I can eat just about anything you put in front of me, but I can't make music. It's just not in me. So it is with those who do not have the Spirit of God. They can look at the component parts of what the Bible says, but they cannot understand it. 
They cannot live it. They cannot experience it, which is exactly what the Bible says. So when there are those who don't believe, who are critical of the Bible, who want to defame and to remove and somehow question the authority of the Bible, we should say, well, that only proves that it's true because it's doing the very thing the Bible said it would do, that it would bring revelation to those who are spiritual, those who have the Holy Spirit, and it will confound those who do not. Those who do not understand it will attack it. They will not respect it. They will not live by it. They will not honor it. They will defame it. Those who are filled by the Holy Spirit have His life, have the grace of God. They will be taught by it. And they do that. We do that because we have the mind of Christ. How do we have that mind? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. So we have these three things, and I, I could go on, and I would love to go on, and here's what I've done. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, I, have, I have posted a number of resources that I highly recommend to you as sources to go and do further study on these evidences. But what, what I really want to do today, and what we're, we're going to do, is we're going to look at what the person who said he was God, who said he would die to take away the sins of the world, and who said he would be raised on three days later, who then appeared to his disciples, the one who claimed to be God, who died for sin, who was raised on the third day. Let's see what he has to say about Scripture. I don't know about you, whether you're a believer or not, but a person who says he's going to die for the sins of the world and be raised again, when he dies and he's been raised, I'm going to give a little bit of credence to what he has to say. And so we're going to see what this resurrected Christ has to say. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Luke chapter 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, please, please grab the one in the pew. You're going to need it. It's important. Please bring your Bibles. I cannot uh, uh, speak to that enough, especially this summer. Every We're always going to teach the Bible here, but it will be uh, particularly useful to you. Uh, Satan Hewitt, where's Satan? She's going to read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And Dave is going to read for us from Luke chapter 24, and she's going to be in verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dave. If you would, go ahead and be seated. So here we have Jesus Christ resurrected just as he promised. He's appearing now to two disciples who are on the, the Emmaus Road. They're having a conversation about the miraculous things that they have heard that have happened in Jerusalem this morning. Jesus Christ, having been crucified, it is now rumored and being told by many that he has been raised. And now Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, comes and appears to these two men and begins to talk with them. And in his conversation, he reveals to him what Jesus calls us to about the Word of God. Take note of this, and let's walk through it. The resurrected Christ calls us to, first of all, believe God has spoken, and the Bible is God's Word. Believe this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. 
Jesus really called out these guys. He really brought it in because what he's saying to them is, with your heads, you did not comprehend. With your hearts, you did not embrace with hope. And now here you are with your hands and feet. You're walking the wrong way. You're walking away from the resurrection and not into the truth. And so he really calls them here and he says, that old foolish one, slow to heart, believe all the prophets have spoken. What, what did they do? They, they did what we often do. They decided what God should do, and when God didn't do it the way they planned for Him to do it, they walked away. Why did they do that? Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, says this. Um, you guys have that one yet? Yeah. They did not believe all that the prophets had written about the Messiah. That was the problem with most of the Jews in that day. They saw Messiah as conquering Redeemer, but they did not see him as a suffering servant. They thought Messiah was going to overthrow the Romans, that Messiah was going to come and going to bring in the new kingdom now and then. They forgot to read Isaiah 51 and 57. We're going to preach through those this fall, by the way, and be reminded that the Messiah was a suffering servant by whose stripes we are healed. The one who, who carried our burden and took on our responsibility for our sin and, and was, was crucified, just as the Word of God said. So often in North American Christianity, there is this tendency for Christians to be told, and there's people selling it this morning and even on TV, saying, you know what? God is a conqueror. He doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be sick. He wants you to have all good, humanly wonderful things. And But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, didn't he? Does he give blessings? Yes. How? When we die to ourselves and follow him. So here this, this Messiah is promised who is not only going to conquer, but will do it through death. These guys were anticipating a different savior. They didn't see the whole story of the Bible. They looked at the parts that they wanted to believe and held on to that. They didn't see the whole counsel of the word of God. We've got to look at the Bible as a single whole. The Bible is not a collection of sayings or stories. It's a single story with four parts. It tells us what's gone wrong with the world. It tells us why we feel the way we do and what it is God has done. We know that God created the world to be in harmony. We know that because the Bible says it, but we also know it intuitively, every single one of us, because every time someone dies or there is injustice, we say, this is not the way it should be. And we're right every time we do that, because God made us to live and to live in harmony. But because of the fall, because we have sinned, there's now brokenness in the world. But the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ, God himself, would come to die for our sins and rescue us, and that one day he will return again. That is the story of the Bible. That is the whole truth Jesus is saying. You, don't you remember what the prophet said? Don't you remember? The Bible is telling us, when we look at the whole story, it's telling us that God is holy, that he is just, that he is loving, and that he is a giver of grace. It tells us that we are poisoned, that is, we are sinful, that we are broken, and yet still responsible before a holy God. The Bible tells us that, that, that God has come, that he promised he would come, that he has come to die for our sins, has been raised, and he's coming again. The Bible tells us what we must do. What must we do in light of this truth? We must repent and believe. We understand God's design. God's design is harmony. But because of sin, there's now brokenness. We must repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the story of the Bible. 
It's the fact that God entered into humanity, lived a holy life we wouldn't live, and then gave his life to pay for our sins and then conquered death through his resurrection. When we acknowledge our need and our own sin and we repent and turn away from our own way of life and believe in the resurrected Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin. We are alive to God and we can pursue and recover God's design. This is what the whole story is about. And so Jesus begins to lecture these guys and say to them, what you're doing is wrong. You've missed it. This is what the whole Bible is about. We must, we must believe God has spoken and that the Bible is God's word. Second, the resurrected Christ calls us to understand God's word through Jesus and the gospel. So we must believe and then we must understand. Understand God's word, but the way we need to understand it is through Jesus and the gospel. Look what he says in verse 26 and 27. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Again, the Bible is the story that explains the main character, Jesus. And the way to understand the Bible is through Jesus and the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. See, God's word is all about Jesus. It's easy enough to understand the New Testament in and through Jesus and the gospel, but what about the Old Testament? We are to understand the Old Testament the same way. It's the same Word of God, and it is understood through the same lens, Jesus and the Gospel. We must see and understand the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and the Gospel. This morning, I'm wearing contact lenses. Uh, when I was uh, in, in uh, undergraduate studies, I was studying Greek and Hebrew. I was at Perkins Restaurant getting ready for an exam, and I, I had my Greek New Testament, and I was studying it like this. I mean, my face, my big nose was pressed up against this page, right? And I had some friends call out to me, and I looked up, and I couldn't see them for anything. And I had to get up and walk over, and I said, you won't believe this. We can't I couldn't even see you across the room. I said, oh, we believe you. You look like a big nerd. Your face is all pressed up into your book. What's wrong with you? I said, I, I, I think I'm losing my eyesight. And they said, no, no, you lost it. You lost it. I, I, I went, and, and I, I went to an eye doctor, and I couldn't believe it when they put those lenses on my eyes, what I could see. I looked in the mirror. I couldn't believe how ugly I'd become. And where did my hair go during Greek and Hebrew, right? And, and all of a sudden, it was like a whole new world came alive to me, and I saw it. Some of you, 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 you maybe know something about the Bible. You maybe hear some of the stories, and maybe you listen to other people. But I'm going to tell you, you will never understand it for yourself until you see it through the lens of Jesus Christ and the gospel. This is what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Until, until we have the Holy Spirit illuminating our minds and showing us who Jesus is and what the Bible is about, we, we, will, we will miss it because we have to have a guiding hermeneutic. Uh, Ferguson and, um, and, and Packer, they talk about hermeneutics. I want to use this word with you so that you can understand it. Biblical hermeneutics is a specific area which concerns the interpretation, understanding, and appropriation of biblical text. If you don't understand what this is and you want to know about um, hermeneutics, I've listed some books that you can read to help you this. What it basically means is, how do we know what the Bible is saying so that we can live it? We can't know what the Bible is saying and, and live it until we understand it through the lens of Jesus. The 
Old Testament is about Jesus. We've got to get that through our minds. When we read the fall, and we read the curse that God gave Satan, the, the, the snake, rather, in the garden in Genesis 3.15, we have to understand this is about Jesus. Look what it says. Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's that about? Uh, without other information from Scripture, it's just sort of a... A mystery. But here's what we know. It's about Jesus. Jesus would come from the woman and he would crush the head of Satan even though he would strike his heel. Even though he himself would die in his death, he would destroy sin and death. You have to see the Old Testament, everything. Not, not just the Genesis, but all of it. you got to understand the broader picture. In the Old Testament, we see this tabernacle. We see this temple. And we hear about this high priest that can go into the holy place. What's that about? That's about Jesus. He is the temple. He is the place where we come to to find and experience forgiveness of our sin. He is the high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies having made sacrifice for sin. And it is now through him we have access to God. The, the Bible is about Jesus. We have to look at it through the lens of Jesus. That's how we understand the tabernacle. That's how we understand the temple. It's not just those large things. It's every single story. Listen, I have, as a young pastor and in over years, I've butchered Old Testament stories. And I've done that, not, not on purpose, but because I wasn't looking at them through the lens of Jesus. Take the story David and Goliath. Do you know the story of David and Goliath? Do you know the story of David and Goliath? Raise your hand. Good, most of you know the story. If you don't know the story, it's in 1 Samuel. Go back and read it. What most, not most, what, some, what I have done, all right, and I have sometimes said, okay, we've got our giants out there. Now we've got to get our five stones, and we need to go and take our giants out and, and talk some biblical moralistic sermon. It's not helpful, and it's not true. That's not what that story's about. Let me tell you what that story's about. The story's about the fact that we are hiding in the trenches because there is an enemy that has come out, and we can't defeat it. It's sin and death. And we need a champion who will go before us and fight for us. And we have such a champion, Jesus Christ, who has entered the battlefield, who has struck down that giant, death and sin, and he has conquered and cut its head off, just as promised in Genesis 3.15. And now there is victory for the people of God who will believe in the victory of Jesus Christ. All the stories of the Bible are telling us the story of the gospel. We have to see them through the lens of Jesus. That's the only way you can understand the Bible. Third thing, the resurrected Christ calls us to be ignited with God's Word by the Spirit. So we are to believe, to understand, and be ignited. And now we're going to jump to verse 32 in, in Luke 24. Let's talk about what happened. Having heard the Word of God through the means of Jesus Christ. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Friends, when we know Jesus and experience God in his word, our hearts will burn within us. We will be on fire for God. 
God says rhetorically through Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 23, 29, it's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. When we come in contact with God through his word, we are set on fire for God, which may lead, and I hope lead, some to say, why aren't I on fire? Let me ask you, are you on fire for God? Is your heart ablaze with love and passion and delight and appreciation and honor and glory and respect for God? Or has that fire been quenched? Understand what will quench that fire. Sin quenches the fire of the Holy Spirit. Not temptation, not an occasional stumble. Ongoing sin quenches the fire of the Spirit. And if you're going, if we're going to go on living in sin, we will quench the Spirit and we will not burn with desire for God through His Word. So you may be studying the Word, but if you're living in sin, you're quenching that fire. What else quenches that? Lack of focused dependence on the Holy Spirit quenches the fire. If we go to the Bible and we see it as a get my happy on first thing in the morning, that's not going to enable you to burn with fire for God. Going to it as a textbook and getting some kind of academic exercise accomplished will not set your heart on fire for God. It is only when we invite the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate our hearts and to show us the truth of His Word and then be willing to commit to live ourselves under that authority will we be on fire for God. You cannot, we cannot, I cannot do it by ourselves. It requires the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so we must pray for that. We must invite that. We must participate in the work of the Holy Spirit as He is at work through the Word. The third thing is this. A lack of faithful study quenches the fire. So many of God's children are not on fire because they are not putting logs on the fire. If some of us were to describe are spiritualized today, there are some who would say it is a heap of ashes. There was once a fire there, but it has long gone out. Why? Because we have not, you have not put logs on that fire, and you have let the fire go out. Instead of daily digging into the Word of God and adding fuel to that fire, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your head? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? You're watching TV, going to see movies. What kind of music are you listening to? Where are you spending your time? What are you doing with your hands that will influence your head, which will determine your heart, which will drive what you do? If we're not in the Word of God, we cannot know the will of God. And if we do not know the will of God, we cannot walk in the way of God. And the way of God is the way of fire. It is the way of passion. It is the way of life. We must know the Word of God. And the only way we can know the Word of God is to study the Word of God. If you are not in the Word of God every day, there's no fire because you're not putting logs on. Friends, where is your place? Where is your time? What is your plan to study God's Word? And, and the last I would say is, is the lack of communal interaction quenches the fire without others preaching to you, without others teaching you, without others really calling you to faith and calling you to, to understand and to love and to obey Jesus. Friends, the fire goes out. I wonder this morning, has the fire gone out in your soul? 
when was the last time you felt the fire? Has it been more than a week? Has it been more than a month? Has it been more than a year? Has it really been a few years since you felt the fire of God in your soul? Is the answer honestly never? Have you never, have you never been overwhelmed with the love and grace of God for your soul? Have you never repented of your sin and believed in Jesus? If you have not, you, you will never be on fire for God. And if you have, if you've not been pursuing God through His Word, you put no logs on the fire, and you're just a pile of ash, and there's no fire. Without fire, there's no warmth. Have you turned cold to God? that passion. It happens. It's so easy. But our God is gracious. And He's loving. And He's so powerful. And here's what I know about our God. If, he, if we will ask Him in faith, He can light that fire. Some of you have never asked. You've never gotten on your knees and said, God, forgive me of my sin. Holy Spirit, take over my life. Be my God. Be my hope. Be my truth. You've never had that fire lit. You need to do that today. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But on the outside, no one would know it. On the inside, you hardly know it. Because you've lost that fire. Would you come get on your knees today and commit yourself? Say, God, set me aflame. I want your word. I want your spirit. I want this life. I want this warmth. I want this love. I want this passion. If, if you've lost it and you want it, ask. The worst you can say is no. He rarely says no to that prayer. Father, you are everything. You are completely sufficient in and of yourself. You need nothing. You are everything, and you give everything that is necessary and needed for life and faith and hope, for fire. For God, there are many here, many among us, who need that. We need that fire kindled in our hearts so that it can burn in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our everyday life. It will guide not only what we think, but what we feel and what we do. So, Lord, for, for those who need you today, who would acknowledge that you are everything, hear their prayer. And then for those, those of us who sing, hear us as we confess this truth, that you are everything. In Jesus' name, amen.